Good morning. A reading from Hebrews 4, 14 through 510. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The word of the Lord. So I'm originally uh, from South Carolina, so this was a strange week for me, for me, um, because Clemson lost to Pittsburgh. And we were 9-0 and and like on track for the college playoff. Anyway, hard week, guys. Um, lots of different reasons to feel confused. Just kidding. So when we were laying out this 11-week series on Jesus, I remember slotting in this week uh, for Jesus as our priest and not really thinking that much about it beyond that it would be good to be ending this uh, sort of 11-week meditation on these offices of Jesus' ministry, that Jesus was a healer, uh, that Jesus was prophet, that Jesus was a priest, and that Jesus is king. Uh, then as I kind of realized that the uh, election was, was drawing near, my eyes kept falling back to this week and thinking about Jesus as a priest and how appropriate that was going to be as a central consideration on a week uh, like this. And then Tuesday night and an early Wednesday morning actually happened. And I confess I was dismayed. And I really, I'm just sharing this from a personal place, not assuming anything about um, the politics of, of the people in the room right this minute. This is just a personal, personal moment. I confess I was dismayed and I was walking home, I had been out, it was like 1.30 in the morning, I was a block from my house, and unfortunate people uh, came out of a building right as I was walking down uh, towards my apartment and came out, and we just sort of ended up standing facing each other, and I just screamed at them, what is happening with our country? And then both of them just went. And then I just kept walking, that was it. 
And so then I, uh, um, I had a severe injury in the, in the marathon. This is a great week to be like super sore. Um, so I went to the podiatrist on uh, Wednesday, and then I went to get takeout food for our family. And I was standing in the, in the takeout place waiting on the food to be prepared. And I looked around, and everyone was on their phone. And I was like, I'm putting my phone down. And if there's an opportunity to have a conversation while I'm waiting here, I'm going to have it. I'm putting my phone away for a little bit. This isn't helping me anyway. So I'm standing there, and this guy kind of shuffles up next to me, and we're both waiting. And uh, I, I look over, and I'm like, it's like a weird day today, huh? Everyone was like zombies kind of like walking around the city. Um, and he, he looks at me and then he does a double take. And he's like, were you on Prospect Park West at like one in the morning last night? And you, and you screamed at me? And I was like, as a matter of fact, I was. And we had like a 20 minute conversation where he was like, you summed up exactly how our wife, my wife and I were feeling. She's going to die laughing when I tell, you that I tell her I actually ran into you. <laughs> and we like processed together for like 20 minutes and like shook hands. I was like, I wish I had, my food hadn't come. I've got to go because, but this was fantastic. And uh, I went home and I walked in the door and I was like, we're never leaving New York. This is the greatest place. <laughs> and I, what, what an amazing experience. And I guess it wasn't even that crazy, but that's a little bit how it's been. It was like strong emotional reaction immediately. And then a gift in a very bizarre way to do some more thorough processing, to do like have a real conversation. And I feel like that's part of the mix of where we're at. It's like whatever your reaction was or is, strong reactions are okay. And then we need to get into the like more healthy place of like listening and talking and understanding one another. And, and I felt like God gave me this little microcosm gift of that experience. And I wasn't expecting it and I walked into it. But I do confess, I was dismayed and uh, thinking about giving a sermon and, and not just like talking about the prescribed text that we had this week, but being really honest uh, felt like a, a daunting task. I think a lot, and I'm not, I'm not trying to just to personally process in front of you, but I hope that you can understand where I'm coming from. I think a lot about my own qualifications for the place I hold as pastor in this community, and there are certain days where I feel less, less than qualified for this position, uh, what it is and what people hope for from a pastor. And so as I read this passage from, a, from Hebrews 5, I really identify with that, what it describes about the role of priests, in particular this part, that he's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifice for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when he's called by God just as Aaron was. And there's a lot in that that I can really relate to. I have felt at so many points, and this week in particular, subject to weakness. Um, I have known the deep need for mercy for my own sins. Um, There have been days where the only thing holding me in this role was a sense of calling. And then Aaron, very bizarrely, who's mentioned here, blows it all the time. (laughs) Like, in, her, in stupendous ways. This guy's like, let's all throw our gold into the fire. And then Moses comes back and he's like, look, we threw our gold in the fire and this golden calf walked out. <laughs> I 
So I have this weight of, do I have the character to match the position? Sometimes you're the most bothered by seeing in someone else ugly realities that are present in you. I know that is true in me. I'm troubled by the points in my life where my character has not matched up with gifts or position. So as crucially important, as absolutely important as the policies of this election were, my greatest grief came from a perceived discrepancy between um, character attributes needed to hold an office and what we've seen from this campaign across the spectrum. Because I know that pain personally, (laughs) to be in over your head and I'm sad at the state of our national conversation, at the pervasive frustration on both sides that so easily lead us to labeling instead of listening and and have put us, it seems, in an extremely reactionary mood. I I confess I'm struggling to process with my children um, how how to think about this, how to have respect for the office when, um, when they're coming home describing very little respect in the public persona for um, for the person who holds it. And it's a challenging you know, thing to talk about. Um, it's painful for me to think of how many people have felt ignored and unrep- underrepresented and therefore uh, are thoroughly angry on both sides of this election. But I do want to say this. I think there is a place in the Christian life for grieving. Full stop. <laughs> I think there's a place in the Christian life for grieving even while you maintain ultimate hope in God's love and God's sovereignty. Uh, I was talking with a friend this week and remembering the moment that, you know, every child's favorite Bible verse because it's two words. Anybody know it? Jesus wept. You guys were all kids before you were adults. That's great. Good work. Jesus wept. And Jesus wept right before he, like he did his most spectacular miracle. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And he'd been dead and wrapped in grave clothes so that he kind of like hobbles out like a zombie. And Jesus is like, take off your grave clothes for this most spectacular miracle that Jesus does. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And before that, he wept. And it's not just like, a, this is what I'm supposed to do in this moment. Like that he was genuinely moved in his depths with grief. That story is telling to me on a, on a number of levels. Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, and he got the news, and then he delayed. He delayed going to Lazarus' hometown. He, in a sense, the case could be made, he let him die. And, and then he, he says this mysterious kind of cryptic thing to his disciples, like, this is good. God's glory is going to be shown in the middle of, in the middle of this, what seems, uh, what seems a, a very painful reality. He, he, he truly grieved He wept, and then he showed that he was resurrection and the life. By the time Jesus got to the home of Lazarus and his family, his work was cut out for him. His work was cut out for him. Um, He had a complex emotional reaction, and then he called on the power of God. I was sitting with Patrick uh, this week, um, having a rotisserie chicken, and we had uh, what was supposed to be an hour-long conversation, and it turned into like a a three-and-a-half-hour conversation. We were processing together his reaction, he was going to boldly take uh, the opportunity to write the intro to this prayers of the people that he so beautifully read for us this morning. 
And I was asking him how he was reacting because I knew I had been dismayed and had been confused to some degree. And I was, I was surprised and encouraged by his response. He said, you know what? I think we, ha- we, we have our work cut out for us. We know, in a sense, um, what we need to be about. We know the work of healing that needs to be done now, in, in a sense. And it's like more intensely dramatic than perhaps if the election had gone another way. Now we know like where we need to, to, the space we need to occupy as reconcilers as the church of Jesus. And I was just like, yeah, our work is cut out for us. It's sort of like walking up to the Lazarus situation and what's going to help? Well, we need the power of Jesus' actual life as resurrection and life. And it is truly appropriate to weep and then to call on God. And Patrick reminded me of that while we ate rotisserie chicken. There's an urgency, right, that might not have been present with a different result. We, we know, defined, we have defined clarity of where our nations and our cities and our neighbors' pain points are. So we can get to work on calling on the power of God, showing the love of God in tangible ways. So I think that there's no better place for us to meditate for the rest of this, this morning on the reality of Jesus as priest and I want to say, wherever you are, however you're feeling, um, whatever, whoever you voted for, uh, there's a place for you in this church family. We need you. Uh, you are made in the image of God. We say this a lot, but you represent an opportunity for our church to know more of who God is. Because through the unique complexity of your story and your life and <laughs> the per- person God's made you to be and the family that you can- come from and the, and the place you represent, you are an opportunity for us to know more of who God is. And so this is a time for, for coming together, for showing love. And I know you guys, I feel like you guys are like, yes, we're on board with that. But for this morning, I want to make some space in middle school 51 for us to receive the ministry of Jesus as priest in a very practical way. I want you to think for a minute, Jesus' prophet, Jesus' priest, Jesus' king, what do those things mean? What very practically does a priest do? Let your imagination and mind be stirred by the passage again. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Think about the realities listed in those sentences. We have a priest who has known our pain, who has experienced our weaknesses, who has shown us another way to be a human being. He leads us to approach God with confidence. He leads us to receive mercy, to receive great, to grace, and all of that when? In a particular time. In our time of need. If we are paying attention to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family, whatever our perspective is, it's hard not to call this a time of need, a time of uh, of need for for many different things, for clarity, for hope, for healing, for perspective, for vision. We need Jesus as a priest as much as ever. So I want you to consider for just a few moments, very practically, what it is that a priest does. And the first thing is this, and and each of these sort of five things are going to be very simple, and we're not going to, I'm not going to sermonize on them too long, but but, uh, a priest helps us remember and connect with the presence of God. 
The, the, the verse says, because Jesus is our high priest, we are able to approach the throne of, of grace with confidence. There was a story in our most uh, recent Alpha presentation. It was on the week uh, in Alpha about, about prayer. Why should we pray? Does God really answer prayers? And um, it was a story uh, from the Civil War. And, 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 and this is what happens. A Union soldier had just lost his father and his brother in battle. He was the last remaining man in his family, and that left his mother and younger sister as the only ones able to work their family's farm and and land and to bring in the harvest, and the harvest time was drawing near. If he could not get a release from his duties and return home, then his family, uh, uh, grief upon grief upon grief, was also going to suffer further ruin, lose their land, possibly lose their lives. And so he, he had to go to Washington. The president was the only person who could give him um, an early discharge from his duties. So he went to the White House. This, this sort of uh, regular soldier walks up to the White House. And like you might expect, I mean, security was very different in this era. But, but like you still might expect, he was uh, not surprisingly told, you can't just meet with the president, um, whatever your plight is. And so the soldier walked away in dismay. And he sat down on a bench nearby and was overcome with grief. And he's sitting there crying. Shortly after, this, this boy walks by and, um, and, and gently asks, why, why are you crying? And the soldier recounts his story of how his last hope was speaking with the president that had been denied. And so he didn't know what to do. And the boy says, come with me. And so he takes his soldier back to the White House. But this time they go around the back. They go right past security. They go right past rooms filled with generals and staff and right into the room where Abraham Lincoln was looking over battle plans with his war, war council. And the boy uh, says, Father, this man needs to speak to you immediately. And the point the the story's making is, right, immediately obvious to to you all, I I guess now. But uh, this is what Jesus has done for us, uh, that he's given us an audience with the king of the universe. He's given us uh, an, an access point to walk in and say, Father, these people need to speak with you immediately. These people, uh, I, I have made them part of your, your family. Uh, because what Jesus has done for us, we have full access to the presence of God. Why? His death has won us forgiveness. So all the things that would disqualify us from that presence, he's removed through his mercy. But then his resurrection life has given us not just the removal of sin, but the the. the infusement of a new type of life into us. When, when the Holy Spirit came and birthed the church, we're not just forgiven, we're now filled with the very life of God to move in, in, into our world. A life like his with intimate communion with the Father. So that's the first thing. What does a priest do? I want you to think about this in selfish terms for just a few minutes. In what ways do you need to remember and connect with the presence of God personally, right where you are right now? That's what a priest does. The second thing a priest does is hears confession. A priest gives the gift of listening as someone pours out their heart. And that is such an important uh, gift to give in a world where we, we have so many formats of talking to one another, but our capacity and ability to, to listen. If this last few weeks has shown us anything. It's that huge swaths of people feel like, on both sides, feel like they haven't been listened to at all. And the ministry of a priest is to give the gift of listening while someone pours out their heart to God. Because that person is confident that God is loving, that God is merciful, then we become free to bring our sins, our brokenness, our failures, our mistakes to God. Let me say this. For our wounds, there is no healing 
without confession. There's no healing for our minds, for our hearts, for our bodies, for our relationships, for our lives without confession. It, it, uh, when there is a relational rift with a human being or with God, if you try to skip to reconciliation without confession, you keep yourself from healing. When you try to skip ahead to reconciliation without really acknowledging the wound, how it happened, where it came from, then, then you, you actually remove yourself from the possibility of healing. Here's a couple of things. Confession brings us to the place where we can begin to heal. Confession prioritizes the relationship. And here, here's the reality. God knows you well, thoroughly. Like the, the poetry of the, of the language of the scriptures, it's like he knows the hairs on your head. He knows what it was like when you were knit together in your mother's room. There's not a detail of your life that God doesn't know. So why, can, why does confession matter if God knows anyway? Because it's a prioritization of the thing that God prioritizes, relationship. Right? When I, when I know my child knows what he's done wrong, it's important for us to speak it out. <laughs> For him to say, him or her to say what's gone wrong in, in the relationship. What is that? That is a move of maturity. That is a move of trusting the character of the person that you're, that you're ultimately confessing to. It's a choice to come to him. So we know God knows, but we still tell him. Confession prioritizes the relationship. With people, the same thing is true. We, we're choosing honesty over posturing for the sake of love. We're saying over and over, we have a tendency to put on masks and put up walls of defense, and we're going to keep confessing to one another. I was looking at, uh, I was in in a church for uh, a friend of mine who was doing a CD release this this weekend, and um, it took place in a church, and I walked past, and there was a huge billboard of the 12 steps of AA. And I was like, I just stood there and just read every one of them. And so many of them are about uh, I'm going to confess what, what's really been making me crazy, what's been tearing my life apart. I'm going to confess it to God, my higher power as I understand, and then I'm going to confess it to another human being. And this system, sort of like full confession, and then wherever you know you need to, go and make amends. And so you'll see someone that's in this process of, of recovery going to people that they've hurt because of their lifestyle, because of their choices, and making amends, full, full confession. It opens us to the possibility of healing and it prioritizes the relationship, right? So many of the the things that bring brokenness into our lives, they narrow us down into a small cage of selfishness and confession is opening that door and stepping towards the other person and saying, I got stuff, you got stuff. It sets us free from the exhausting work of hiding, Hiding and posturing, trying to always put up a front is exhausting. And confession is a rescue from that. It is a vent for the soul that opens the way for talking and listening to one another. Right? When I was in theater school, we we came back to this all the time. The substance of our relationships, talking and listening. How do you do that in a natural way? Well, you really say what's on your heart, and then you really listen. And both aspects are are thoroughly necessary. And when you're not really listening, you're just waiting to talk, right? There's a diminishment of the relationship. And when you're not really, when when you're just rushing through and you're not really sharing, you're just skimming the surface, the, the the deepest relationships we have come when we learn to talk and listen to God and to one another. And confession is crucial in that. 
It's not just a nice spiritual practice. It's essential for our health and healing as human beings. A priest also communicates mercy. And those things go so closely together, right? You, you have confession as a statement, an acknowledgement of the problem. But if that's where it ends, then there's, there's, there's a, a real problem. There's devastation even because we have to also have a communication of mercy, reminding people that mercy and forgiveness is possible with God. That his, his love is able to triumph over any brokenness that we can name. In a sense, you can see that all these realities are falling under coming into contact with the presence of God. But you need the experience. Church, hear me here. You need the experience of not just knowing in general that forgiveness is possible, but that it applies to the searing realities of real pain, sin, guilt, and shame in your life. You need to have it wash over you like water, like a babbling brook, and run down to the hard and dry places of your soul and bring life again. You need to experience the ministry of Jesus communicating mercy. That's in a sense what frees us to full confession is knowing that when we fully confess, we're going to receive love and mercy like from no other source. You need to know that the highest authority in the world has said you are forgiven, you are free, you are mine, hidden in Jesus. One of the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life who saw him operate most clearly, the, the apostle John, he wrote these words, and just hear them again. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I've mentioned this before, but I want you to just look at that last sentence in verse 9. If we confess our sins, right? and a lot of people want to change these descriptive words. If we confess our sins, Jesus is loving enough and friendly enough that he'll forgive us our sins. It doesn't say that. God is not quickly overlooking our brokenness and sin and, and both the nature and the choices we make to hurt ourselves and hurt one another. He's not quickly moving past that. As a matter of fact, that's why the cross happened. It's so significant and so serious. But he says, if you confess our sins, he's faithful and just. How can he say that? Well, he's poured out the full scope of our brokenness on Jesus. So God being faithful to himself and a just God has says the absorption of everything you've done wrong personally and corporately as, as, as a people, uh, both now and forever has been dealt with in the person of Jesus on the cross. So I am faithful to my true character and just in the truest sense to give you grace when you confess and hide yourself in Jesus because to tell us die, as Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. communicates mercy. A priest also intercedes. If you want to know how Jesus prays for you, because the scripture promises that he prays for you, look at John 17. It's a passage that our church was named after to some, to some degree. And you can see an example of what is intercession? Intercession is to stand in between a person and God and, 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 and be in the gap and, and try to bring the, the, the gap together. It's to, to, to 
pray for someone else or for something else or for our city or for our culture, for, for what type of things? To bring the truest needs of someone's life and situation before God. That's what intercession is. What are the things that you might intercede for? For breakthrough, for vision, for specific needs, for healing, asking God, right? There's that beautiful story of where the, the friends bring the paralyzed man and dig through the roof and lower him down before Jesus. And it says that Jesus looked at their faith and gave him healing. That's a, a visual picture of intercession and our work as the church in this time to bring our friends and family and neighbors and selves before God to intercede for one another in such a way that we're going to dig through the roof and lower people down so that they can be in contact with Jesus. And Jesus sees our faith and brings healing to them. What a gift. A priest does intercession. And when, when it talks about God interceding, especially the Holy Spirit, um, it says sometimes that God, God intercedes with groans. Sometimes there are not even words to put to how you're feeling. And you need to know that the Holy Spirit intercedes for you with groans. He, he is able to express realities that words can't touch or can't thoroughly describe. We need the ministry of this high priest in our lives right now. The last thing I'll mention is that a priest speaks God's words. He speaks God's words, right? He says things like this. Here's the heart of God. And, and the word of God is from everlasting to everlasting. So that means it's more true than the temporary circumstances that we're in the middle of. It's more true than the moods or emotions I might be feeling right now. Because extending in the past and the future in either direction, God's word is from everlasting to everlasting. And a priest is coming and reminding people of the larger perspective. Raise up your eyes. I had some friends do this for me this weekend. Sometimes it was painful. Lift up your eyes and remember the story that we're in. On my father's gravestone is the, is the, is the, uh, the passage, Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. A friend said that verse to me this weekend. I was like, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> What's wrong with our country? And then I had some time. <laughs> then I got my takeout food and went to the doctor. And I started processing. And I remembered I do believe that promise. Right? I need, I need the ministry of the high priest to speak to me something that's beyond just my assessment of my circumstances. It's stronger than my moods. It's stronger than this temporary moment. It doesn't make this moment insignificant at all. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis talks about the people who've done the most significant work for good in this life are those who have a perspective about the next life, who have a perspective about the everlasting nature of God's word and promises. That that's actually fuel for the work of reconciliation, for the work of hope, inspiration, for the work of renewal, for the work of justice doing, for the work of love. So we speak God's word, passages, we speak passages to one another. And sometimes when you've been immersed long enough in, in the scriptural story, sometimes God will speak to you in, in a prophetic way where you'll get a picture for somebody. You'll, get a, you'll sense something for somebody. You'll, you'll, you'll have, a, have a dream. There's other ways. There's like mystical ways that God really speaks to us. And we have this, this scripture as an anchor to go back to because we know that, that God has integrity and that his word accords with the things that he speaks to us subjectively. But well, we need those, those specific words as well. We need it when someone says, I had this thought for you this week and this little picture. And we need, we need 
that ministry to one another. All right, so no secret. You guys know where I'm headed with this, I think. We need to receive this from Jesus. This is his ministry to us. And then we need to know that Jesus has put us in the place of priests. You both receive this ministry and you have this ministry. Now, if you just came to listen, if you're a Christian, you can't escape. This is your calling. This is your reality. There's no getting around it and saying, I just like the music here and whatever. This is your calling. You are a priest if you are a follower of Jesus. And there's no escape from that. You can't just say, I'm going to leave that to someone else. That's, that is throwing in the face of God his call on your life. Because here's Peter, and Peter knew as, as good as anybody what it was to walk with Jesus and see the glorious things and still fail spectacularly at the most crucial moment. And Peter knew the ministry of Jesus as a priest because they sat together after he betrayed him on the beach, and Jesus made him a fish breakfast, and he restored him, and he, he went back through every part of the wound. You denied me three times. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Then you do the ministry that I've been doing to you to others. You receive it. Church, you're priests, and our city needs priests. To be holy, to be loving, to be listening, to be offering mercy, to be walking into the cracks in our city and pulling things together, to be interceding and, and, and be the embrace of God's love. For that to happen, you've got to be receiving the ministry of Jesus on a daily basis. You will peter out halfway through day one of trying to be a priest if you're not receiving from Jesus as a priest. Peter, to a city in a time of turbulence, wrote these words. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So I'll say it again. If you're united to Jesus, you are a holy priesthood. And now like living stones, we're built together to make a spiritual house, to make a temple where people can come and find out what God is really like. That is a very high calling. You're, we're not just trying to get through our weeks. As important as it is to get through your week, we're trying to be a spiritual house where people can experience what God is really like. And you are the priests who mediate that reality in our city. And we have to be receiving from Jesus but here's what I want us to do. We're going to worship and, and, and sing some songs together. And then I want, to, I want us to remember that this, this place in Middle School 51, while we're here, is a, is a consecrated sanctuary where we are going to minister to one another as priests. And what we're going to do is our prayer team is going to be up at the front. But you can turn to the people right around you and say, how are you doing? And you don't have to say, what would you like prayer for? You can say, how are you doing? And then they, I don't know why you were talking that voice. <laughs> they can tell you how they're doing. And then I want you to put your hands on their shoulders and pray for them. 
or if you get a picture for them, I want you to speak it to them. Or if you need to just give them the gift of more listening, then I want you to offer them the chance to fully vent their soul to you. If you need to be someone who just gently reminds them of mercy. If you need to be someone who says, hey, from everlasting to everlasting, these promises are true, right? Whatever the state we find each other in, in this room this morning, I want us to practice being priests. This is a safe place to practice. I know safe places sort of come under fire, but... Not getting political, am I? No, I'm not. (laughs) So we're going to practice. What are we going to practice? Helping people remember that God's present here. Hearing confession, being ready to really listen to those around us. Communicating mercy. Hey, there's forgiveness available. This meal that we're going to eat together means there's forgiveness available this morning. Interceding, praying fervently for the needs of the people around you and speaking God's word to one another. We're going to have a time where we're going to practice that. You can come forward and and there will be people down here that will pray for you or you can turn to one another in in, in the group and introvert, extrovert. I know this can be hard. We're going to do it anyway. Some of you don't feel qualified. You're not standing on your own qualifications. Jesus, if you're hidden in Jesus, then he makes you a priest by his mercy, by his grace, by his equipping, by his Holy Spirit. But maybe some of you are like, the qualification thing I get, I just don't feel comfortable. And that's fine. You can sneak out. Right? Who's going to stop you from sneaking out? Sneak out. But if you stay, I want to ask you to take risks, to practice in a place where people are, are, are going to be practicing together, do, doing this to one another, interceding, hearing confession, speaking mercy, right? Practice, what does practice do? Practice makes you more natural with challenging things. My son turned 10 this week. I remember when, like, he's, his favorite sport's baseball, a complex game. It's not just like fielding and throwing and hitting. You got to know in this situation which base to throw it to. And I still, like, don't know that sometimes. Like, what's a suicide squeeze anyway? And why such dramatic language? Um, <laughs> But I've seen my son like first learn to like close the glove on the ball, then learn to throw. And now he can play second base, like fully equipped. He knows what base to go to. And what's happened? He's just practiced. Now he can do something he couldn't do before because in incremental ways, he practiced doing it. You are a priest of God, whether you really believe that about yourself or not. How will you move into fully functioning and thriving in that role? Practicing. Practicing a little bit at a time each Day, each week, receiving from the ministry of Jesus and then giving it back to others. Practicing believing in promises. Practicing taking steps of faith. Practicing humility. Expecting that sometimes you're going to get it wrong. Practicing listening. All right, Eric and the people who lead worship by music come forward now. I love you guys. I'm very grateful to be a part of Trinity Grace Park Slope. I'm so grateful that you've trusted me uh, as a pastor in this church for the last uh, seven years and let me fumble through and let me go on rants. And, and I'm so glad to be a part of this, this family. And I, f- I feel like this is a time for us to flex our family muscles a little bit and just embrace each other. And this morning, I just want to ask you, like, As the Holy Spirit leads, I'm going to pray for us. And as the Holy Spirit leads, let's just do these things that we've mentioned. Remember God's present. 
hear from one another. I want to invite the prayer team. Prayer team, if you're ready, uh, let's like start the gentle underscoring. Um, and everyone could stand up and we'll put a music uh, song on the screen. People that, that pray for people come forward and we're just going to stumble into this together. And if you need to confess, if you need to, to talk to someone, if you need prayer for healing in any way, if, if, uh, if you want to be someone who is, is ready to receive people, would you come forward? Let's worship and listen to how God's speaking to us, and then let's just practice for a little while together. Then we'll eat our meal and go on our way. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, would you move by the power of your Holy Spirit right now? We cannot do this on our own, and we don't want to do this on our own. It's antithetical to the whole reality of being in relationship with you to try to do this on our own, out of our own resources. So would you pour out your mercy on us? Would you forgive us as Trinity Grace Park Slope and us as individuals for every sin we've committed? Our selfishness, our brokenness, would you forgive us? And would you give us faith to believe that we are priests in your family, in your house, in this spiritual house being built together, not because we're qualified on our own, because you've made it so. None of your blood was wasted. None of your forgiveness doesn't work. It's effective. May we receive our ministry as your priest. And may we practice here. And then may we go into our city full of your love, receiving from you to give to others. Help us know how to practice even right now, Lord. Lead us, Holy Spirit, in the ways we should respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing. And as you need to move around the room or talk to someone next to you, please come forward. Please, please take advantage of these people that are trained and ready to pray with you over anything or talk to you about anything. Let's be priests to one another for a few moments together. And then we'll come to the table.